Hey everybody, how y'all doing? Welcome to another episode of Ignorant Bliss. I am Julian Lido, the creator, host, and everything of this podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to Evan Narcisse, a cultural critic and writer. He's worked for places like IO9, uh, Kotaku, Time Magazine. He wrote Rise of the Black Panther for Marvel. Uh, On this episode, we really chop it up on how he got into comics, what... um, how you got into being a writer, a critic. Uh, we deal with to a lot of stuff in terms of um, games, representation in games, uh, how the differences between the communities of games, culture, and comic culture or combo culture and how they kind of dovetail, intersect, and how they react to certain things that are similar in terms of critiquing both mediums and how they handle things like diversity and and representation within those the stories there and we talk about some of the projects he's working on um i hope you guys enjoyed the episode uh for those who might hear this on a new basis you can find ignorant bliss on all types of ways you get podcasts and the website is ignorant-bliss.com. Emails is uh, ignorantblisspodcast at gmail. The Twitter is IGBL podcast. Um, I'm Julian Lytle, L-Y-T-L-E on everything. Um, on the Apple podcast, if you could leave a review, that would be very helpful. Um, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, look at the show notes. It'll have things in there to help you understand what's going on and little links to, to his work and things as such and I will bid you adieu and enjoy the episode meeting Ron in person and you know I, I'm I, I'm not too proud to admit that I'm a little shook because that motherfucker's a genius <laughs> as far as I'm concerned it's interesting for me like because I've known him for so long it's yeah. like I know he's great but it's just like people are like oh I met Ron it's like yeah but you, we had to like figure out how we was going to eat chicken wings at Pratt because we had no money that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you're like okay, the the, uh, the awe, the level of awe is just a little bit less for you. No, nah, that's the homie. We didn't we didn't been through too much real life to have awe. It's just like, right, right. I like, feel oh, you. you pulled it off. It's like oh, not even that. Oh, you pulled it off. Like yo, people really responded to this. This is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all yeah, the things I, are coming true. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm just you know any anything that motherfucker puts out, I'm like. Ready, you know, uh, a motherfucker hopes he can ball on that level one day. Yeah, shoot, you you keep on going, you should be able to. Man, I'm trying. You know, it's it's like I don't know. This is gonna get into official podcast topic territory, so I I, I don't know how you want to edit, but like this, these last two years have been ridiculous for me in 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 good 
in, in uh, ways, in challenging ways too. But yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you have questions ready, but like I, I no, I kind of, I kind of just I have questions in my mind, and then I just work through it in the conversation. Okay, so let's let's count this as the official start of 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 the podcast joint, yeah. etc. So, um, let me start out with not the usual stuff, but like like wh- where are you from, man? Like where 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 you come from? Like where did you grow up? Brooklyn, born and bre- born and bred. You know, um, um, uh, was born there um, to two immigrant parents. You know, my parents are Haitian. Um, um, my mom's not around anymore. Um, but yeah, so grew up in Brooklyn, South Ten. My mom moved to South to Long Island. Um, I was raised by a single mom. Um, I have a twin brother and a younger sister. And yeah, we grew up black. In, in Long Island in the 1980s. Um, and that was a trip. <laughs> Long Island is such a weird... Well, I shouldn't say it's a weird place, but it's a place that... No, like, you can say it's a weird place. I grew up there. You can say it's weird. Out, outside of, you know, people who, who live in New York, it's like, what is this Long Island thing? Yeah, you don't get it. Like, you get right. you get, you get shit on, on sitcoms and whatnot that's a, that's a parody of what it's like to live there, but there's... Almost always some tr- some truth to the parody to the satire. Yeah, yeah. Like you didn't know even know there was black people there because in TV shows they don't show black people. No. But then you listen to rap music and be like, oh, but like, De La Soul be living there or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. Like, you mentioned De La because um, my play cousin was real cousins um, with Trugoy, um, Fudge. He was a he was a friend of Fife's. Um, um, and his mom and my mom went to nursing school together. Um, they may even go back further than that. But, um, yeah, uh, we fell out of touch once Fudge moved to Atlanta. But, um, yeah, I grew, up go- I grew up going to their house. Um, um, yeah, so, like, one degree separation removed from, from De La. Um, and very rarely I would see – I would see them on the Long Island Road. <laughs> um, uh, I actually mentioned it in a piece I wrote about Jon Stewart. Because um, if you remember John Stewart Mosaic from back, what was it? Was it late eighties, early nineties? Like Eighty-eight, um, maybe eighty-nine or something. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, Cully Hamner drew it. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, and ironically, I've become friendly with Cully because he lives in Austin. And we've hung out a few times. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, that issue came poly bag with a plastic green lantern ring, and I was big enough a nerd to wear that shit out in public. It had a, like a, a white dot in the center that would glow in the dark. Um, and I remember one time, uh, Daylight came on the train, sat across from me. Um, and I remember, uh, 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 Poss, his eyes went straight to my ring and I was like, oh, you know what's up, but I'm too shook to approach y'all because y'all are crazy rap idols. And then years later when I was, wrote about, uh, John Stewart on io9, I, I put that anecdote in, but yeah, so like, yeah, Long Island, you know, mad, mad classic rap acts from Long Island, you know, uh, a public enemy, EPMD, yeah. you know, I can go on, leaders in the new school, bus a bus, like, yeah. Rock so, Kim, he ain't, from, he ain't from that too? Yeah, 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 he's yeah. from, he's from Wine Dance, if I remember correctly, yeah. yeah Long Island is, is Strong yeah. Island's a good moniker <laughs> for, yeah, 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 but you know, place. it's kind of on the low, which is why those acts have to rep so hard, you know, because like, Again, you don't think of Long Island as, a, as a, like a locus of black culture, but like there's a definite kind of, especially when it comes to Caribbean immigrants, like we, I used to joke about this when I was a, a kid, or when I was younger, like we all land in Brooklyn, right? doesn't matter where you're from. Mm-hmm. If you're 
Trinidad, Haiti, Jamaica, whatever, you land in Brooklyn. Um, and once you get once you get it going a little bit, you know, uh, uh, you move out to the suburbs. So that's either Long Island, New Rochelle, Westchester, that whole vector. Mm-hmm. Some folks go out to Jersey. But, like, it was funny. Like, so many of my friends um, who were also the children of Caribbean immigrants had a similar kind of trajectory. Um, and then once you're grown, you're like, I'm going back to the city because the suburbs are about some bullshit. Um, <laughs> Because I, the one thing I found about Long Island, growing up in Long Island was it felt culturally arid to me. It felt like a desert, you know, and uh, especially in terms of like trying to figure out like my own blackness and whatnot. Like I did not get a lot of help <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so, li- yeah, yeah. living in, in the suburbs of Long Island. Man, man, like uh, that's that's an interesting thing that I would think about, like currently in my as I reach middle age of 40. I'm thinking about how much of a bubble growing up in D.C. and D.C. area has put me in. Like, being around blackness is, like, my natural state. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's just weird because that's something I think about, too, especially now that I live in Austin, a city with decidedly less melanin than my native (laughs) stomping grounds. Um, You know, you think about what you take for granted. And, you know, people who grew up like you, I was always, like, you know, Oh, I wonder what that was like, you know, um, uh, to grow up like steeped in all these black folkways that I later encountered, um, you know, when I once I went to college and whatnot. But I wasn't I went to a predominantly white high school um, and a predominantly white college. I just sought that out, sought that stuff out um, very passionately when I got to college. But, yeah, which is not to say, like, you know, I didn't grow up around my Haitian um, um, family and uh, uh, peer group. I did, but you know that's not the same as like living in a city that's like like a chocolate city like DC. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting type of mindset I think that differs from, I guess, other people who had to deal with like this over encroaching whiteness on everything. Yeah, yeah. like you know, when I was in elementary school, we had to sing "Love Every Voice" and sing, right, and and like regular national anthem. Yeah, so it's yeah. like people like oh. I don't know that song's like. Yo, I can't even forget that song if I wanted to. Right, like, right. And and again, as a contrast, it wasn't until college that where that became a regular part of my life. Yeah. Hey. Um, wow. I I wish some of that stuff would spread a little bit more, but. I mean, you know, it it it, it you have to work overtime. Um, once you're not around it, which is something I'm finding as a parent, you know, like constantly. You know, you have to be kind of sly about it, but like seeing where my my kid's head is at, you know, how she yeah. thinks perceives herself and people like her and 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 making sure she's exposed to um you know, a, a multiplicity of blacknesses, right? Like that's how I like to think about it. Um um and and just letting her know that she can feel comfortable fitting in however she wants and living however she wants in, inside that space. Um, which is, you know, I think it's a journey like every black person individually has to figure out um, uh, throughout life, you know. Uh, uh, but I'm very acutely aware of her growing up in an environment where she's now surrounded by people who look like her, you know. Like, that's something I took for granted in New York. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's very different here. But, yeah. So I, Look, I'm, I, I can meander and go off on tangents. I'm just warning you now, so... <laughs> Um, so like what, what really brought you into reading comics and getting into gaming? 
was that something you got into as you were a younger child or something you grew into, you know, when you were like a teen or when you were in college? No, I, I definitely started reading comics from, from when I was younger. Uh, I, I learned to read partially from comics. Um, you know, some of my first memories of reading anything are from comics. Um, you know, six, seven years old, definitely by the time we moved to Long Island when I was 10 years old, I was already reading comics. Um, you know, one of my first formative film-going memories is this, the 78 Superman movie, Christopher Reeve. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the earliest books I remember reading uh, was a small digest um, trim size of um, Superman. It was, uh, it's, it's your, This Is Your Life, Superman, I think was the name of the story. It was written by... Either Elliot Magan or Carrie Bates. I think it was Elliot Magan. Um, it's basically like uh, pre-crisis Superman, Kurt Swan, Murphy Anderson, like old school, like late Silver Age, early Bronze Age sensibilities. And um, yeah, like I reread that story for the first time in obviously decades and wrote about it for io9 a couple of years ago and was like, oh yeah, I remember the exact feeling I had when I read this panel and that panel. And then you experience some other ones um, as an adult. And you're like, oh shit, Superman is really going through it in this. Like this, <laughs> may, this may seem like a really corny Silver Age plot point, but Superman talking about, oh yeah, I was really lonely growing up. Um, um, and you're like, damn. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, I don't remember too much of my, I have a super brain, but I don't remember too much of my uh, early childhood uh, on Krypton. Because, you know, every time I get exposed to kryptonite, it wipes those memories away. And you're like, oh! oh. Okay. Damn. That's um, a wrinkle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's just like a throwaway line, but it's like, holy shit. He, and, you know, like, look, in 2019, 2020, we're probably overexposed on Superman as Jesus Christ metaphors. But, like, that's like, oh, that's real sacrifice, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so yeah, like I remember reading that comic when I was a kid. So um, definitely um, when w w when I was like single digits and onward, and you know I've just never stopped like a lot of us. But yeah, it was it was not something that anybody else put me onto. It was something I found myself and my you know my mom. Uh, uh, was like, all right, the boy likes this, um, and and. Um, she let me follow that passion, but eventually she was like, the boy likes this too much. And I'm throwing these comic books out. Oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that mean, you know, it, it sounds corny to say after the career I've had, but like I go way back with comics, you know, they're probably still, um, the thing, you know, you get older and you're like, all right, well, what do I really know? You know, like mm -hmm. what, what mediums do I go, you know, deep and long and hard on? And it's, it's comics, you know, I don't know movies the same way some of my peers do. Um, uh, you know, games are probably, you know, obviously a, 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 an area of, of deep concentration and knowledge for me, but like, even there, like, you know, people know like the NES catalog better than I do. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, Comics from a certain era, like, are definitely an anchor for me, um, um, for better or for worse. 
So like what wait so was that love of comics and did that help you get into writing? Like, oh yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um I knew I wanted to be a writer from an early age, definitely because of comics. Um you know, I was probably a classic introvert, very shy, bookish, um interior. Uh but you know, I remember writing something. We had a a, a research project um, in fifth grade, and I remember being assigned a topic of uh, being rather assigned the the personality of Rosie Greer, you know, the old football player who became an actor. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I I wrote it, and and I remember. The teacher's notes were like, this is really well written. And then into high school and college, um, you know, my passion for writing got recognized by some some uh, teachers who definitely encouraged me to, to, to pursue that path. Um, so, yeah, and that's all due to comics, you know, like, uh, you know, I read non-illustrated prose and a bunch of other stuff, but like comics were always <coughs> the mainstay. And then that that took you towards journalism, or did you try to go for fiction or, or journalism? Comics? Journalism, yeah. So what happened was, again, child of immigrants. So my mom wanted me to get a quote unquote good job, <laughs> doctor, architect, lawyer, um, you know. And I want to write, and she's like, "You're gonna be broke your entire life," and she wasn't necessarily wrong, but <laughs> you know, I want to do what I want to do. Still, um, I went to. Uh, NYU, New York University, for those who don't know, um, uh, as a poli-sci major. And, um, you know, with the idea being that I was going to do pre-law, uh, two things happened. Uh, the first was I took my first constitutional law course, um, and I bounced off that shit hard. Like, it, it, it was not for me. I'm like, I know these words are all in the English, but... Um, it's not making any sense to me. I remember we read, were reading our first court decisions and I was like, I cannot make head or tail of this. Um, um, and that really put me off um, doing law as a profession. I, I just thought I wasn't going to be uh, uh, cut out for it. Um, the other thing was, as related to poli-sci, was I remember we had a poli-sci professor who was, you know, like lauded as a genius within the department. And he was, you know, smart, perceptive, whatever. But I remember he had a special intensive course that um, um, I got into, and we were talking about the, 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 the founding fathers, the framers of the, of the Constitution, and how at the late age of like 80-something, late 70s, 80-something, this is a man who was a World War II veteran, him finally realizing that when they wrote, you know, uh, uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, uh, uh, the Bill of Rights, they didn't mean for it to uh, apply to black folks. And I'm like, oh, word, you just getting that? Like, uh, uh, this long life of yours? And, you know, the knowledge comes when it comes. But I'm like, maybe this discourse is not one where I'm going to be able to, to fit in um, if it's organized in this way, you know, yeah. if... if if, if these insights are coming so late in the day. Um, at least that's what I felt like. So I was like, you know, like, by that point, I was already exploring, you know, black 
intellectual tradition in, in the United States, you know, um, and I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s and 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 have, of course, having lived the life that I lived, that was obvious to me. Um, so I was just worried that like, OK, like political science, doing law, like you, you are literally um, uh, walking up the tongue. That's a red carpet past the teeth into the belly of the beast. <laughs> of, a mission, of a system that's, you know, designed to work against you. And I didn't know if that was for me, um, um, at least not in that way, you know. Uh, so the second major thing that happened in college was that uh, I took a journalism course as an elective just to, you know, fill out some credits. And it was taught by a man named David Dent, who's still a professor at NYU. Um, the, the class was minorities in the media. And... Um, you know, he became essentially my mentor. You know, I, I took his course and he encouraged me to take up journalism as a minor, which I did. And uh, because he thought I could write. And and that's how I kind of got my way into journalism. And, uh, and uh, you know, I did entry level freelancing, um, followed by fact checking um, at a magazine. Uh, and that's how I got my way in. But, you know, even 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 having a job as a fact checker was no guarantee that I was eventually going to become a writer. Um um, and I kind of had a roundabout way of having a staff job as a fact checker while also freelancing as a writer for other publications. Eventually, that became uh, a full-fledged career. But yeah, it was, you know, definitely kind of a, a roundabout way of getting into the profession and into the craft of writing. It was, creative writing was something that didn't come until much later, until very recently, as a matter of fact. Hmm dipping your toe in, I guess, after using all these years of, I guess, taking in reality and able, I guess, spinning it into a new form of, of fiction, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I'm never going to be somebody who says that being a cultural critic was my way into um, becoming a creative, you know? Like, for me, that was the goal. Like, being a good critic and working on the craft of criticism was my art, and I still feel that way. But, you know, recent events in my life opened a window of opportunity for me to start pursuing a bunch of these other projects. Um, so that's that's the window. I'm trying to keep it open um, and, and not go, not get blown off the ledge um, um, while, while I'm, I'm doing this work. Speaking of, like, becoming a cultural critic, like, did that something... Was that the, the entire goal... Or was that something that you kind of like, one of the few things is like, I want to focus on this. And, or I could focus, like, you know, you was working on a couple different, like, I can write this type of stuff, that type of stuff. Oh, yeah, like, no, I know exactly where you're going. Um, you know, Julian, some people are like uh, really good reporters, right? Like, yes. uh, I've worked with those people. It's an amazing skill set. Um, I didn't have that, you know, and I knew that early on. Um, um, which is to say, uh, I think my personality, um, did not lend itself well to being like the kind of shoe leather, hard hitting, you know, occasionally abrasive and invasive, um, uh, reporter that those types of people wind up being, you know, I, I do think I have a skill for asking questions, but, um, you know, it takes a certain mindset and skill set to do that kind of work. And, you know, 
I think that was best suited to other people. I also feel like my becoming a cultural critic goes hand in hand with my being goes hand in hand with me being a big nerd. You know, hmm. um, you know, if you're the kind of cat who reads an issue of X Men and not only is thinking about like, okay, well, how does this continuity fit in with what happened in X Factor last month? But also is like, oh, okay, you know, these metaphors are jumping out at me, and the way this character, you know, is is crafted, um, uh, contrasts with this one. Why is that? You know, I remember being in high school, and that was the first time I noticed, uh, I started paying attention to who wrote this comic, who drew this comic, um, what else have they done, and I feel like once I started on that path, you know, wanting to kind of interrogate interrogate the medium. Um, that I was engaging with um, um, went hand in hand with, you know, me, me deciding to become a journalist and then a critic, cultural critic. You know, one, one of the classes I took at NYU was taught by the late Ellen Willis, who was um, a pioneering uh, uh, female feminist cultural critic um, who wrote during Rolling, in Rolling Stone during the 60s and 70s. She taught a cultural crit- criticism class at NYU. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I took that class the year that Milestone comics started coming out, mm. and we each had to do a presentation on a piece of culture that we were engaged with um, and excited about, and I did my presentation on Milestone, and I remember her being like completely blown away by like, oh, these comics exist? Uh, um, <laughs> um, comics like this exist? And I was like, yeah, I know, it's Rob, right? I mean, it was more than that, but like, yeah, uh, um, I'll never forget. Uh, I wrote about this when I wrote about Icon for io9, but um, there's another kid in the class who was like, Oh, so he's basically just like a black Superman, right? And I was like, Actually, nah, this comic's all about all the ways, all the reasons he can't be a black Superman and he can't be the icon of uh, truth, uh, 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 justice in the American way, you know, like he's not allowed to, to, to become that kind of a symbol so yeah like me becoming a cultural critic and me growing up as a comic book nerd like go hand in hand as far as i'm concerned that's that's interesting um because saying like figuring out that like this isn't my role like this isn't my role in it as a journalist but like i can use all these different things that i'm that i, I am in love with and what I could pick apart to then like analyze and, and break apart these things I love and, and explain it to people is an interesting discovery that one can make. Yeah. You know, I mean like, look, superhero genre fiction is a lens for looking at the world. Right. And once you realize that <clears throat> it's like, Oh, okay. Like, and once you realize there's some intentionality behind these creations, um, and uh, and people are using it, using using characters like Luke Cage and, or and Superman and, and whoever else to comment on the real world. That just opens up your eyes to a whole uh, other way of looking at the, the craft and the medium, and it opens up your 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 ability to I think to to look at the real world through. A metaphorical lens you know like some people don't have that like some people just you know walk through life and think things are what they are and they don't necessarily engage with the systems that shape um the way their lives are happening um 
but you know, comics always let me um, think about these things in, in, in a deeper, more metaphorical way. You know, the, obviously the stakes are different, right? Like, but you know, all the stuff we take for granted nowadays, like as the kind of like intellectual space where comics criticism happens, like you know, I grew up as that was happening. I remember reading interviews in comic book fanzines like Amazing Heroes. I'll never forget. There was an interview with Denny O'Neill in, I think it was Amazing Heroes number 50, um, which is a, still a thing I want to track down and own for myself. I'll never forget. It was like the cover was like George Perez Titans from the classic run. But anyway, uh, Denny O'Neill talks about um, when DC Editorial was trying to integrate the Charlton Heroes um, into the mainline DC universe. So, you know, like Captain Adam, yeah. the question, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversation that he has was like, oh yeah, he was being considered for Captain Adam, right? Like to write the book. And he's like, I'm not really interested in ultra powerful characters like Captain Adam and Superman. And this is, he wrote Superman back in the day. And when he wrote Superman, he depowered him. Like yeah. the, um, and the, the quote, I'm probably gonna get it wrong, but the gist of it is like, he's, he's not interested in, perfect humans he's interested in human perfectibility like the infinite journey that we're on to become better people and if you read his comics you know whether it's batman venom or the question um um like yeah that is a going concern in his work um um so yeah yeah we take all that stuff for granted that we can talk about these characters in this way but like you gotta understand this is still a relatively recent development in how we talk about superhero genre fiction you know like the medium was around for like God, 50 years before people started talking about um, this stuff in a serious way. And, you know, like, there's, there's, there's hints of it in the 60s and the 70s, but I think by the time the, the mid-80s rolled around, um, there was all this work, you know, all the, all the, all the classics that people mentioned, Dark Knight mm. Returns, Watchmen, that was really engaging with that as a primary concern and not, like, a, a tertiary concern. So, coming from that place, right, that means you you've kind of seen the idea of comic criticism like start at one point and then get to the point where we are here. So yeah. you got a point where it's fanzines and things like you know Amazing Heroes, the Comics Journal, yeah, uh, Wizard, mm-hmm. to like uh, websites in the blog era, yeah to the fall of the blog era to kind of like what we have now, which is kind of like, and you can say this kind of about a bunch of different things, but the YouTube video essay. Yeah. Era. Like what are your, the Twitter thread era. The the, like, yeah, yeah, the Twitter thread and the like, now I could just, I can literally watch somebody read me the comic book for 15 minutes and try to like actualize it, which is something I've been starting to do since I, there was a couple of them on like the bleeding cool power list. And I was like, wait, what? These are not random things. YouTube is putting into my feed because it feels like it. Like people watch this stuff. Right. You know, like what it, what is your take? Because you've been doing it for a while and then you've, you've, you've seen it. It's wild, man. You know, it's so weird, you know, like, the simple difference of actions, I think, in presentation, modes of presentation, um, 
are great dividers between these different types of critique, right? So like me sitting here talking to you um, um, over Skype is different than if we were uh, uh, chatting um, um, over text or like talking to each other in Slack, right? Like the words come out different, the thoughts come out different. Um, and I feel like it's the same thing with these different things that you're talking about, you know, like I'm always going to identify as a writer first, you know, and well, I realized the allure of, of, um, making a video about the same stuff that I could write about. I feel like my native, um, modus operandi is like to write about it, you know, like, and, and that can be annoying sometimes because writing is different than, than, than talking to a camera. And I'm, that's, this is no slight on people who do video work at, at, at whatsoever. Um, it's just different um, um, because you have to present your arguments in a different way. Um, you know, it's funny to think about, like, the arc that you described and I've been talking about because, you know, the days of Wizard and Amazing Heroes and all these other magazines was like, people could run businesses off of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Ad-supported businesses that had uh, a wide distribution and, and um, um, you know, relatively robust readerships um, at the time, and all that went away. And um, I think what's replaced all that stuff is a variety of options um, that, you know, honestly can feel overwhelming sometimes, right? Like, it can feel like, oh, shit, um, there's all this stuff out here. Like, how do I find, like, a Critical Chips or a Strip Panel Naked? Or, you know, like the people who are doing good work in this space, you know, at first blush are indistinguishable from people who are, who are not, you know? Like, it was wild to me because, you know, I would see when, when Rise of the Black Panther was coming out, I would see people just like literally turning the page of the comic on a YouTube video, like, like low-key pirating. And I'm like, hmm, what do I do with this? Bro, you have no idea. Hey- I was literally watching someone do voices of the comic, but it took all the words out of the pictures. But, like, I know what happened in the issue. Right. Right. And I'm like, but, like, I'm not even getting any clear, like, thematic context. Like, when I watch... So, in in the film space, the video essay is literally like, oh, we're really going to talk about this one thematic thing in, let's say, one film... Or, yeah. or a genre of films or something like that. It might be a good one. It might be somebody that's like, you know, pretty big, like the Lindsay Ellis woman. And it yeah. might be like 40 minutes and she's going to break down like, yo, this is why this Disney movie didn't really work. And, you know, I went to film school. I know I was like, okay, okay, best. So you can get into it. And I watch it and say, like, all right, okay, I, I see your point. But then I go to something. And this is, I don't want to knock these comic folks, but it's really like, Oh, a bunch of comments came out this week. Right. And your business model on YouTube, because let's keep it 100, the content creation is a business model, is you going to just tell me everything that happened in the issue, and you might give me some, like, if you read this comic back in the day stuff? Yeah. But we're not even going to really talk about, like, the Hickman stuff. Like, you're going to, like, the Hickman X-Men, I, I stopped reading Marvel but from what I can tell, I'm like, who is the black and brown people he's talking to to get on this real militant-ass right. X-Men comic? Right. But I'm like, but where that video at? Like, how I mean, yeah. can you break this down in terms of, like, the history of, like, minorities pushing against 
like power structures, which he's really dealing with. Right. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I'm like, where, where, what, what, what are y'all like? What are y'all doing? And from hearing what you said, where they like reading your comic and turning the pages and just, oh, look, look, like Black Panther just did this, and like, yeah. well, like I can, I, I can see that, sir. You know, <laughs> it's funny because. Just to go off on what is hopefully will be a really quick tangent on Hickman and the, and the, the, the Dawn of X and you X-Men stuff. Um, I feel like he doesn't get there. He doesn't get to this legit evolutionary, ton, pun totally intended, you know, inflection point on the X-Men without first going through his new Avengers run, mm-hmm. uh, um, which was like low-key... Uh, Black Panther title because T'Challa was like a main character, if not me- the main character of that series, hey. and very much concerned itself with like, okay, what are the political ramifications of this man being a king of an isolationist nation, also being a member of a secret society of elites who are um, trying to, yes, save the world and the multiverse yeah. um, um, without anybody else knowing it, and like, and what, which is which goes in direct defiance to the cultural ideals he's been raised on and has executed. You know what I'm saying? So like, I feel like you don't get to Krakoa without going through Wakanda first. Um, so yeah. And you know, we don't know what kind of reading he may or may have not done. Um, you know, Hickman doesn't do a lot of interviews and, 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 and doesn't like surface a lot of the, uh, mechanisms of his writing so like that's left to speculate and that's good stuff to speculate on but like yeah like there's a lot of people who just simply are not doing that you know i feel like you know i always try to offer something deeper when i wrote comics criticism you know like uh uh i remember the the era after the 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 2016 secret wars series i was covering marvel for kotaku and then io9 and you know Stuff would happen um, like Hawkeye kills the Hulk, right? And yes, you can get a lot of traffic and a lot of engagement by simply, you know, writing about that act that happened in an issue. When I wrote about that, what I tried to, how I tried to frame it was, okay, so this is a significant act within like the continuity of of the fiction, but like what it means in a meta contextual way is like, like, hey. This is a, a clear signal that this move that we're making with Amadeus Cho uh, uh, um, is going to be something that's going to be a new status quo for a while. We cannot, we certainly cannot like uh, fool ourselves into thinking this is going to be a permanent change. You know, we know the way superhero comics works, but like, what does this mean from like a business standpoint, from like uh, a messaging standpoint? Um, how, what, how is this plot point in? Com- uh, in conversation with the larger goings on around this medium and, um, and, and this business, right? Like, so that's the kind of energy I try to bring to my writing around stuff like that. Cause you know, like the game is the game, right? And mm-hmm. if you're a reader of a certain age, you know what these mechanisms mean, right? And how transient some of them can be. Um, um, but even knowing all of that, you can, I, I think engage with it on good faith and be like, okay, um, is there something, is there some layer, are there some layers here? Uh, and you know, that's the same kind of energy I'm trying to bring to 
the work I'm doing as a creator now, you know, like, like, like themes and meanings have always been like, uh, uh, you know, a red meat to me, you know, like that's, I, I thrive off that stuff. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that, um, that's really changed. And I guess in regards to comics, it became, as the writer became the dominant force. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. And uh, different types of writers as they pull writers from like independent or like indie books into these, uh, the, the growth and idea of themes in the like late nineties, early two thousands, where you first start getting Bendis and, and Miller and, yeah. and, and like all these folks, and, and Morrison is like in his like second wave of yeah. of breaking. When he decides to go to Marvel and break all everybody's toys and yes, and yeah. like oh like I never I never thought about it like this like right. yeah like right. yeah. yeah you could be doing so much more with this right. Uh, it's interesting how how we're getting to a point of like this call and response because it's, it's like I yes. saw the yeah the Amadeus the changing of who was the main Marvel heroes as a call and response to basically, I guess the watershed moment would be like the hip hop covers. Yes. Yeah. And you know, my, my personal issues with that, but like clearly that, that made something that got a lot of people engaged and involved and it changed the nature of editorial and the online critical dialogue and like yeah. the online fan base and it's weird how that happened, which then also I think spawn off into this. Uh, what, what's the what's the the, the comics the, against the SJWs or whatever they call themselves? Com- yeah, Comics Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think about them, so I always forget about them. Like, I, uh, they're, yeah. out of my, they're out of my world. Like, they don't care yeah. about me. I don't care about right. them. But right. these certain things that like break down. No, there's as like as it happens, like this happens, which leads much like the events in the actual superhero comics. Right, is happening the, within the creation and 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 the fandom of the comics. Yeah, it's you know there's uh, you know we're like in a never ending culture war now, right? Like uh, that is explicitly codified, and the mechanisms and learnings from something like GamerGate uh, have been broken down disseminated to the point where like it's everywhere now right like it's in star wars fandom it's in comic book fandom it's in video game fandom it's like you know it's in academics you know like uh uh and you know again i feel like anything that has a niche audience um is going to be particularly vulnerable to this kind of factionalism right um um, you know, and yeah, you see comic books that are created to, I want to say necessarily explicitly engage with that, but like to pull on that energy. And I feel like that's okay. You know, like, like comic books should not shy away from, from pulling on the real world as an influence. Right. So like, you could, like you said, you can read something like Hickman's X Men and see, like, yeah, there's like a hard line, um, kind of conservatism, uh, coded into the response that the non mutant world has to the mutants 
um, 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 declaring their independence from all of like uh, human uh, existence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like it doesn't take much imagination to see that um, as a really powerful metaphor, right? Like, and predictably, you have responses from certain parts of comic book fandom who are like, yeah, fuck this noise. Um, <laughs> I'm not with it. Um, um, but you have other people who are like, okay, yes, this is the thing I've been waiting for, you know? And then you have more complicated um, um, reactions that like, uh, are like, oh, this is feels like really reminiscent of like Zionism, you know? Um, and given whatever your feelings feel are, are on that or as a political movement, like that informs your response to it, right? So like, you know, uh, um, this is just a very long-winded way of saying like comics, it feels like now more than ever, comics are part of the world, right? They're not just a fantasy escape um, um, the way, you know, one could have argued that they were like, I don't know, in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. Like, you know, I feel like comics no longer has to prove that um, it can be a, as a medium, that it can be a receptacle for like any kind of issues that you want to present, right? Like we're long past that kind of like uh, uh, inflection point. Um, now, like you said, I feel like we're getting the kind of comics where like they anticipate um, certain responses. Um, and I largely feel like that's good because I feel like self-awareness is generally good, but like where it's manipulative, um, is obviously a problem. Mm, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, how do you think this even, do, do you think there's, I shouldn't say do you think, because it clearly there is a dovetail within, I would say, the natures of, of superhero comic fandom and reading base and, like, video game fandom and, and, and how, the nature of how that industry reacts and creates in, 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 in the world. But like like how how is how is it sitting from the back and, and looking at those two spaces as they sometimes attack or deal with the same problems, sometimes at like different scales, because games you know, games is ten billion industry, you know, like yeah, yeah. it's money money. And comics is like, yeah, all the comics might make a billion dollars, but like right. for the most part we're like we went from an age where X Men each each month selling a quarter of a million. Yeah. Which you way back, you know, it could sell a million copies easy to like. Yeah. Oh man, it's having like a good fifty, sixty. We straight. We doing really great. And you know, you might have a game, and it's like, oh man, it sold, it sold like so many copies in the in the, in, in, in the yeah. first two weeks. It's like yeah. so much money. It's like it's yeah, like millions of millions of dollars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. You know, it's funny, like, I feel like the weird thing about comics is, in a way, the media's kind of come full circle, where, you know, for years, comics were dismissed as juvenilia, right? Like, shit for kids. And that's what my mom, you know, my, when my mom tore up and threw up my comics when I was, like, in high school, that's what she was like. She was like, this is some bullshit, it's never gonna get you anywhere, like, you know, like, you're not, you're, you, you, be serious about something, like, you know... Little did she know, this this is now the thing I'm serious about and 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 haphazardly trying to make a career of. Um, um, but the interesting thing about comics becoming a smaller 
medium in terms of its financial footprint is that like, yeah, you can do all kinds of weird experimental things in comics cheaper and faster than you can in, in video games, right? Like, you know, again, going back to Hickman's, Hickman's X-Men, like, uh, I would say um, a mainstream, like, okay, Marvel's a mainstream comics publishing company, right? Uh, I think if you take the equivalent kind of entity in video games, they're going to be a lot more um, culturally conservative um, in terms of anything that has the kind of political messages that X-Men does. And it's not like X-Men is super radical, but like, you know, it, uh, the current run is a strong shift from what came before. Um, video games tend to iterate thematically a lot more incrementally, I think. Um, small steps, you know, like you don't get big, um, fast left turns um, 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 in video games the, the, the way that you have with, with, like, say, the X-Men franchise right now. Um, and the responses are different, you know, like, you still have, uh, like, a resistance to, like, deep kind of cultural unpacking to video games as, like, cultural artifacts um, of a certain time and place. You still have resistance to the idea that this is a way that you can engage with them, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, even in 2020, which is wild to me, because I'm like, you know, uh, 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 it's late, you know, like, people like to talk about video games as a young medium, but they're not that young. No, and they're, they're not, not yeah. and, and they're not so young that 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 we should like resist or be suspicious of um, a, a, a mode of cultural critique and engagement that has been around for like centuries. You know, like people have been talking about what a piece of art means, um, um, uh, uh, you know, literally since ancient times. You know, mm. uh, 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 this ain't new. Um, and guess what? If there's a new way of making art like video games this the, the the same kind of engagement can apply you know like yes uh video games have to develop their own specific critical language right um because it's not like reading a book or watching a movie it's interactive it's not passive like that it's not one way i shouldn't say passive it's not the the the, the vectors of engagement are different let me just say that but that doesn't mean like we shouldn't talk about video games like that so i feel like comic books are a lot, you know, I feel like the people who engage with comics are a lot more willing to at least um, talk about that kind of critique, right? I feel like with video games, like, you know, there's still a critical language yet to be formed around that stuff, um, formed around as a medium. And like, yeah, you know, I think, you know, video games are probably more risk averse by virtue of being a multi-billion dollar business, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's all this money in the game, you know, uh, literally and figuratively. Like, so the, the you know, the, the people who run these businesses are going to be um, cautious about it, you know? But, I mean, I think it's, I personally think it's silly to um, have a game talk about you know, child soldiers from a state that's been occupied by uh, U.S. Or, or Western military forces for decades, put, to put that stuff in a game and then say, well, our game's not about, it's not political. Um, I'm like, the simple act of framing the story in this way, like, it's political. Like, you know. We're talking about Metal Gear, right? <laughs> uh, I was actually talking about the latest Call of Duty. Oh, but, see, I don't play Call of Duty. Every yeah. time when you said that, I was like, 
Yeah, man. Guns of the Patriots, bro. Like, <laughs> I was yeah, going back. No, yeah. No, but but the the fact that we're talking about two different games um, is is hilarious and illuminating because yeah, you know, like this, you know, you 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 take a people from a certain place and you put them in in a game created outside of that place, and everything is just a trickle down. Like everything, every choice you make about their portrayals, like. Uh, uh, speaks to how you understand their culture and their and their and their and their mm, see, the, their ways of life. So like that, that's just you know political. I'm not saying it's like uh, propaganda. That's yeah. a whole other thing entirely. But like you know, uh, 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 how we engage with the world is formed by the by, by the the space from which we engage in it. You know, like uh, uh, so yeah, like. Talking about critique in these two different mediums, I feel like there's still um, a, a different, a big difference. I feel like in terms of like how critique is created and received um, um, in each one of these mediums. And you know, it's it's been wild for me as somebody who's written about both. Like, uh, um, you know, I'm always going to speak to my point of view, right? And hopefully, I've tried to make that a point of view that respects other people's experiences and where they come from. Um, but, but I think that, uh, yeah, when, 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 when I write about like, Hey, all these negative, annoying, tired ass tropes around black people in video games keep on cropping up. Like, you know, when I get pushback from that, that lets me know that, Oh, okay. Like, the fact that people don't think this is a valid vector of critique. Um, um, yeah. The, but the fact that people don't think it is, or I get pushback on it, like lets me know um, the work that still needs to be done, like inside the medium and outside of it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It does. Like, um, it. it... What you just said was saying, literally saying that made me think about a the news story about uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry leaving, yeah. and basically how um, there's this divide within the dialogue of, of Britons, like yeah, like there's a lot of 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 like the you know the white Britons is like it, we're, oh, we're not racist, we're we're beyond, we're past such things, and then there's yeah. black Britons is like nah, y'all racist as fuck, like, right? Um, yeah, it was clearly. Y'all was really, really, really terrible and racist to her to a point where she has to leave. So, and the fact that they can't resolve that, yeah, that even the idea in the head, like, well, of course, this is this is what every royal goes through. Like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, and the other people, like, no, look at this. It's, it's, it sounds very right. similar to the way the game community treats, uh, you know, critiques on or certain tropes. Like, I know in the past, like, I'll give. I'll give a Japanese developer a pass on certain historically certain portrayals of black people than let's say a Western developer. Like I'm like, yeah. y'all live with us. Like I ain't give you no, no, no type of pass, but right. Right. You know, Tiger in Tiger Jackson or whatever in Tekken three. Yeah. yeah it's a, I, I don't care. Like they, they, they like Jim Kelly a lot. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like I'm, I'm okay with this. Like, Barrett always cursing the Final Fantasy Seven. It is what it is. Uh, but like when when it when like what was it? It was like 
Gears of War was it Gears of War one or two where they had like mm-hmm. the was it the the running back yeah the, guy? Terry, the character that Terry Crews played yeah and I was like yo for for real for real like this is what like this is what we doing or it it was just you know sometimes it was even points it's like yeah I ain't, I ain't gonna like I still go about Japanese games it's like to me they they all a bunch of Japanese people so I don't see them as white but um look man. <laughs> One of the hardest interviews I've ever done was with the 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 game lead, the the lead producer on Resident Evil Five. Oh and, yeah, that was a oh yeah, that was a game, right? <laughs> that was a thing. And when I I can tell you that, like I can I can remember feeling the sweat drip from my armpits down my rib cage, because you know I was nervous. But like I'm like, am I gonna be in the room with this man and not ask the questions? Right? Like, am I not gonna? do my job and it may be very uncomfortable and you know like yeah cultural differences are what they are but i feel like in the latter day 20th century into the 21st you can only claim ignorance but so much you yes. know what i'm saying like look i wrote a piece when i started at kotaku i started there in 2010 and within the first what year or two years i wrote a piece about like you know again the stereotypes and these tropes that are annoying and overused with regard to black people. Barrett was one of the characters that I talked about. I'm like, not a fan. I, I know people defend him, great. Um, um, and you know, like I have to say, we engage with all this stuff differently. Like, you know, what you said about Tiger Jackson, like you and I, as two separate black people, will have different opinions about some mm-hmm. of these portrayals, right? Um, but I wrote about Barrett then. And so to have the remake come out and be like, oh, we, we haven't, moved uh an inch on this really well i think now like, he looks dominican but um just because yeah. i was like oh well his hair is straighter hmm he's okay. got wavy yeah his complexion <laughs> looks a little bit lighter like okay. but i'm like the way he talks it's the same like, yeah it still sounds like something out of like a, a poorly translated uh black exploitation movie right like um and i'm like we've had the time to learn mm-hmm. and absorb some of the criticism around these portrayals. So if they're persistent, that tells me that you don't care. Mm-hmm. And it's fine not to care. Like, just don't expect me not to care. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, it tells me that either you don't care or you're actively resisting um, how the times and the conversations around these kind of portrayals have changed. You know, like, um, and for better or for worse, I feel like comics has gotten better about that um, um, in the latter day kind of moments of the medium, you know, like you can't, you, you, you're not going to get, where's my money, honey, ever again. Right. Like, uh, and look, I know some people like that line. I, I wrote a piece about that line and how I have a conflicted, you know, uh, response to it. Cause you know, it was just like a meme that flattened Luke Cage into a ghetto stereotype. Right. Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like, but inside the text, the story in which that happened, he's like, he's trying to stand up for himself, you know? And then you have that line, and it's infamy, influencing people like Dwayne McDuffie. So when he writes Damage Control, and he has the nerdy accountant character, like, step into Doom, he's, you know, like, you'll pay for this Doom. That's a direct reference to Where's My Money, Honey? So, like, mm-hmm. right, I think what we have now, if you ever have a line like that um, in comics... Like, it is, I think, the majority of times referencing 
all the stuff that we're talking about, right? You know, like there was a, um, it was either David Walker or Bendis. One of the times they wrote Luke Cage, they were like, oh yeah, and I stepped to Doom and I told them, and you know, like, okay, that's like, ha ha, there's some meta awareness to that, right? Um, so, but I feel like video games have not moved past their where's my money, honey moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, just like little baby steps. Um, and you know, I feel like the question for people like you or me who grew up living video game, loving video games is like, how long can I continue to engage with this stuff and feel like I'm not seeing myself, I'm not seeing a multiplicity of experiences, I'm not seeing uh, the depth and the care and the research put into this stuff as, as the same level of depth and research as, as is present in a gun. You know what I'm saying? Right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, for me, some of that, that inner thoughts about it is curtailed with the creator player option. And, yeah. And, uh, making Julie. my own character. Like, it, 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 it I, I cut down on what games I want to play. Yeah, for real. Because, and, you know, like, I've, I've, like, I'm old. I don't have the same time. And, like, that's for sure. I love fighting games. Like, you right. know, I think fighting games at times has helped because they will have like they, none of the characters are crazy deep, but when you right. play different ones, yeah. you'll see like I think Tekken is really good with this because they'll have so many different type of characters, and now they they start having where they like speak their own language. Like yeah. a yeah, Chinese yeah. person isn't speaking Japanese; they're speaking Mandarin, and like yeah, the new like uh, Thai guy is like speaking. Tag along, like it's like they're right. like, oh, like you guys are going hard, and like I got a blind black dude with dreads, and he dresses right. really fly, you know, right? Freaking Win Chung, so it's like almost like I could make up the story as I go along. Yeah, and you know, I shouldn't really. You, you're right. I shouldn't have to do that. Right. There should oh, look, be more, but like, who who gets who gets into making gaming? Like, I mean, the, yes, with the yeah. terrible with the terrible work conditions and out like right. the I can't even say I want to like. I yeah. used to want to work in gaming. Then I started hearing with my friend goes. I was like, "Oh no, no, nah, I'm good. I'm I'm straight. Like I don't want to be there." So you know, I can't talk about any of it publicly, but I'm working on some video game projects, and um, I see how hard these people work. And and if you're a person of color or a person from an otherwise marginalized group. Like, you're doing double work if you actually want to work on representation, you know? Because it's almost never the job you're getting paid for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's almost always extra, you know? So, like, if you're on the art team, you're like, you know, we may want to change this, 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 this line of dialogue because it, 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 it could be problems. Um, and, you know, like, it's an individual, individual choice for people to decide to want to, all right, am I going to take on this extra work, Right. Some people feel like they have to. Um, I feel like on the institutional level, like there could be more awareness about this kind of stuff. You know, uh, um, you know, probably my if I'm known for any piece of game criticism, it's it's probably for the natural, which I wrote for uh, anthology, and it's all about me again, like you said, using creator player options and still being frustrated with like, yo, I just want a natural. I just want like a straight up. <laughs> like you know baby afro 
without that's not that's not like cornrows. It's not dreads. That's not like a, a, a comically an afro that's so ridiculously large, um, uh, and and rendered in such a way as to uh, um, exoticize. Um, the person who's wearing it, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like yeah. Sass from Final Fantasy, uh, was it 12? Um, oh yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he had the, he had the chick in his hair, like I, he had the baby chick chocobo that he would let nest in his hair, and I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like you can say you can you can say it's cute. You can say like it's it's a detail for his character um, as as a certain personality type. I stopped playing I'm the like, game, Evan. I stopped playing the game. I mean, <laughs> I was done. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> even if you make those allowances for it, like, it still exoticizes the character um, and others a character in a way that's gonna make you as a player like disengage with 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 the creation. So I'm like, you know, so yeah, like I wrote the natural, and and then I had people come to me on the come to me on the sly and be like. So what do you think about our, our character's hair uh, uh, texture in this game? I'm like, son, you didn't get the point of the piece because I wrote the piece to talk about basically if the people making these games come from different backgrounds, you won't, you won't run into these kind of problems, you know? Like, uh, I've played games when you get into the character creator and, like, you get something that's supposed to be, like, black hair, but the curly ain't right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. okay... Uh, this is re- this is basically a buzz cut, you know. Like yeah. the, 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 these these follicles ain't turning <laughs> um, on a tight axis. You know what I'm saying? Things have gotten a lot better. It's a lot, you know. But like for people to think like that was not me trying to be a, a black hair consultant for the medium of video games. That was me saying, hey, uh, 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 if the people who are creating these games um, um, came from a more varied set of backgrounds, uh, you might not run into these problems. And the actual texture of these games, pun only slightly intended, um, might feel different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, and yes, more homogenous cultures like Japan um, and the game making scene there are going to be difficult. It's going to be more difficult to, for that messaging to penetrate. But like, and games made in the West, like you know, I, I just feel like we're past the, the point of excuses now. You know, like, and even the Japanese stuff. Like, you, you need to tell me like. They don't have curly hair, the curly hair Japanese hair in their game. But even, but exactly, exactly, (laughs) right? Like even within your own cultural milieu, like there's things that are flattening, you know, uh, 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 how you represent certain types of people. You know, like there's like there's there's more skin tones than what we see amongst real life Japanese folks than what are in the game. You know, like uh, uh, and you can say that a lot about. About that, about a lot of Asian ethnicities, you know, but like colorism exists there the same way it exists in darker skin communities. So it's like again, when you parse all this stuff, it's like okay, uh, what do you, what do you, what are you communicating about how you see the world and and what gets priority? You know, we, this is the same stuff we talk about, like whiteness as default and stuff like that. But like again, a lot of these things are made with um, those kind of framings being unexamined so it, it yeah it, it, it can be frustrating um you know for my part the, the way my career has turned out like i'm trying to do what i can where i can um um to just represent to get behind representations where i feel like 
there's a fuller sense of what I can contribute like black humanity into the stuff I'm working on. Right. So if there's a black character, I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, you do a couple of tests, you know, where it's like, okay, how's he sound? How's he look? Whatever. And I'm not saying like, I don't want to misrepresent what I'm doing now. I'm not getting paid to be a consultant on cultural representations, you know, like uh, I'm doing a bunch of work that I can't talk about, but like what I am saying is that stuff is always going to be in my, in my head. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, and where I feel like it's a problem, I am going to be talking about it um, with people who can hopefully um, um, hear me out. Um, but it's still fraught, you know, like it's it, it, it's still, you know, a tense kind of interaction. Um, and I think it will be until, um, you know, the teams who are making these things look different. You know, one of the things I wrote about in The Natural was that, like, what I would love to see in video games but I also feel like it's going to be incredibly difficult to pull off is that like, uh, you know, the black arts movement of the 1960s, you know, Amiri Baraka, uh, uh, all these writers and poets and filmmakers who, you know, wanted to put their work out there that spoke to their experiences as black people and had like a cohort of, of like-minded people that they um, could engage with and draw upon and work with to put this work out in the world, you know, I would love to see like that something like that happen in video games, but video games are expensive. They're specialized. There's a lot of specialized knowledge um, required to create them. Um, a lot of different disciplines that need to come together. Uh, somebody who does art, somebody who does sound, somebody who actually does the game design, somebody who does the coding. You know, like there's a lot of people get involved to create even the smallest of any video game experiences. Some of them can be one person affairs, but like that's a lot of work for one person to do. Um, so yeah, like I would love to see something like that happen in video games, but I think it's going to take a long time because uh, the barriers to entry are um, more complex than in a medium like comics. You know, comics you can make with as little as one person. You know, like they're they're uh, in terms of scale, the scale required to put a product out into the world or a creation out into the world. Like comics are a lot more accessible. Yeah. So coming with all coming with all those good thoughts. How how is it really transitioning? Like you you talked you talked about it a little bit before, but really going from that space of critiquing content, critiquing stories, to being asked to like develop and execute them. Yeah, it's hard, man. Um, you know, uh, I feel like again. Being a critic is something that um, I knew intrinsically um, I could do, right? Uh, uh, unpacking, because for me, all it's ever been, and not to oversimplify it, but like, why do I like this thing? Why do I not like this thing? P- picking apart my reaction, seeding that um, um, reaction in a larger context, um, you know, and that's like a concentric circle of context, right? Me as a black man, me as a straight man, you know, me as a child of immigrants, you know, like, so there's a bunch of different, like, ways I can get at that stuff. Um, and I feel like that's having generally thought about my life through in those ways. Um, it was easy for me to be a critic. Coming up with something whole cloth is a whole different affair. And it's, it's, it's harder, you know, like, knowing the craft 
from one vantage point of a reader and a critic is totally different than um, creating it uh, from the vantage point of being uh, a writer. Um, but um, if anything gets me through, it's like, okay, well, I know what I like and I know why I like it. So if I can figure out how to do that from my perspective, um, I'll, I think I'll be okay. You know, like all my years as a critic at least help me figure out the kind of things that move me um, as a reader um, or a player. And now I'm just trying to make those same kind of things for other people to experience. You know, like Rise of the Black Panther was my first creative work in comics. And that's the energy I tried to bring to it. You know, like, okay, well, I liked it in other Black Panther stories when this kind of thing happened, or I like this about the character's mythos and history and previous iterations. Let me put those things in play with each other. Um, I, I asked certain questions about myself and the world I live in when I read this Black Panther story. So what kind of questions do I feel like haven't been dealt with or can be seen from a different perspective? Um, um, what, what, what do I want uh, readers of this work to like walk away thinking about, you know, like, so that part of it to me makes me feel like, okay, maybe you can do this, you know, like, um, um, you know, I'm definitely a guy who thinks about themes and character dynamics first, you know, um, um, and I feel like plot flows from that, you know, getting a sense of the characters and, and who they are and how they move through the world. Um, but I know other people do differently, you know, um, and that again, that's not a knock on people who think about plot first and character second. Like there's different ways to approach this work, but it's been hard because like, you know, you're starting with a blank page. You know, when you're a critic, there's already some, there's something exists for you to, to riff off of. Right. Like, but when I sit down to write a page of script, it's like, okay, where are we, where are we starting? Where are we going? You know, how do we get there? And it's hard. You know, I'm, I, I would never be the person to sit here and think it's, it's, it, it and say it's easy, you know, um, but it's fun. There's a different kind of satisfaction from like, oh, okay, finishing a script and be like, you know what? I think I hit like 95% of what I want to do here, you know? Um, um, and, you know, the thing about comics is that it's incredibly collaborative, you know? Um, 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 also, video games, you know, I just had a, moment where some lines I wrote for a game were being, um, I heard them being voiced by actors for the first time. And I was like, oh shit, wow. I wrote I wrote that. And there's somebody saying that. And he's like putting his all into it. He's not like, kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was like thrilling. Um, um, so there's a different kind of satisfaction for sure. Um, but you know, like, I can't sit here and tell you that I don't, that I don't miss being a critic, you know? When Spider-Verse came out, uh, you know, I, I wasn't writing about Marvel. Um, and I was kind of mostly writing about uh, comics. And, you know, I was kind of sort of out of the game, you know, the critic game. And I was like, oh, man, I have so much to say about this movie. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, that's not my hustle anymore, you know. Um, um so yeah, Parmi's always going to have that reflex. Um, um, it, 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 it's felt inherent to me ever since, like you know, I was a kid. Um, 
unpacking the stuff I like and figuring out how it ticks. But again, I, I'm using some of those same tools to actually make stuff that hopefully other people will like. So, it's weird, man. It's, these last two years have been super weird in that regard. It's like, you know, I'm pretty much totally out of being uh, a day-in, day-out journalist slash, slash critic slash blogger. You know, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And, you know, I was at uh, what we once called Gawker Media um, for seven years, almost eight, you know, between two different sites. So, like, you know, getting in the CMS and, and blogging something about a comic book I read or a game I played or a piece of news that came out that's, that, that readers should know about. Like, that's, that's something that's never going to go away. Um, but but um, I'm learning how to do these other things now, and that is challenging and fun um, and a different kind of fulfillment. So is that, I guess I'd say, is that, that that's your, your current path, huh? Yeah, man. I'm just trying to see if I can make it work, you know? And I'm not trying to sound, sound like fake humble or whatever, like, you know, in a very material way, in a real way. Like, um, this is me going back to the same kind of, like, roller coaster ride that I was on, like, eight, nine, ten years ago, you know? I'm back to being a freelancer, um, which means, you know, uh, there's a certain volatility to that kind of existence, um, which is a lot more scary by virtue of being a, a parent now, a single parent now. Um, so yeah, like I got to make it work, you know, and it's scary. Um, and yeah, if, if in a year, two years, six months, I'm like, yo, th this shit ain't hitting, <laughs> um, you know, like if I can't do it, then, I, you know, I'll probably have to figure out something else, uh, to keep a roof over my, my, my kid's head. So, you know, knock on wood. Um, I have a lot of work going on right now. Um, and that's good. Uh, but you know, um, you're a contractor, you're basically working for yourself and, and, and the hope is that other people hire you on to do things. I don't have to tell you this, you know, you, you live that life a little bit. Yeah. Um, I made attempts. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it is psychologically draining and challenging and frustrating even when it's good you know like uh uh this part of me that's always going to question um am i meant to be doing this how long can i do this for um what does the reception of my work mean to how i think about myself as a person um and my sense of self-worth you know that that's those are yeah. those are, those are big vulnerabilities um that are even more um, powerful when you're working in a medium that you've loved your entire life. Um, you've made a career off of from one from one vantage point, and now you're 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 trying to forge a path for yourself um, as a creator. Like you know, like it's hard, and and. Um, you know, I struggle with all the same things that probably most creative people do, like imposter syndrome, self-doubt, um, um, you know, uh, a, a definite, like, waxing and waning of confidence levels, right? Um, but, you know, I have to tell myself that, um, 
there's something about what I can offer uh, that nobody else can. Um, and figuring that out and moving from from that um, impetus is what's going to hopefully allow me to build a, a sustainable career. You know, like it's it's um, you know a weird place to be in um, as somebody like you said in middle age where you're like, oh, okay, I'm trying to to engineer a complete and total like paradigm shift um, for my career. Yeah. Um, and how I move through the world. Um, and, you know, most people don't do that <laughs> by the time they're a middle age. You know, they're like, okay, here's what I do. Here's how I do it. Here's the level of stability that my life um, is afforded by those things. And I'm good. You know, and that was me two years ago. Um, and now it's not. And everything about my life has changed personally and professionally. So, um, that makes that makes the stakes even higher. That's me bringing it back to the LSO. soul. Um, like we were talking about a little while ago. Um, but yeah, it, it is. Um, it is uh, further compounded all that all that you know stress um, and pressure is is further compounded by the way we talk about this stuff you know, on the internet and Twitter now, you know, like, uh, and figuring out what the, what the, what a level of healthy engagement for me, um, has definitely changed, um, with the way, the the, the work I put out, um, um, has been coming out. You know, I was lucky enough to write a Black Panther, to, to, to have a Black Panther comic come out and be writing a Black Panther come out when the entire world fell in love with my favorite convo character. Yeah. Like I, that's always going to be like a peak life experience for me. But I, but I'd be lying if I said like, it also didn't stress me the fuck out, you know, like, I bet, I bet it did. It, 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 you know, like it's great. My daughter got to like, see me live my dream. You at least one of them. Right. You know, and, and that changes the way she thinks about, uh, Black Panther, Shuri, Miles Morales, like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of them. Yeah. And that, look, that's a blessing. Like I, I consider like, I'm so, so happy that she got to live through that moment and I got to give her access to that moment in, in, in a really special way. Um, cause you know, I didn't grow up with that. You, you didn't grow up with that, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so that's great, but like when all that fades, it's like okay, so what's next? Yeah, what's the next championship? What's the next? Uh, the next I mean, adventure? yeah, championship is putting it very, very boldly. I'm more like you know. Yeah, I think of things in sports as much as I think about it in comics. It's like yeah, you know, yeah. What is what is what is what is MJ doing after? Yeah. Like with, right, right. Yeah, no, that's 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 right. You know, he might play baseball, <laughs> right? He might play baseball. You know, and 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 did he have a great baseball career? No, but uh, he managed to work enough levers um, throughout the course of his life that uh, he got to own a team. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like. Uh, 
yeah, just because he failed in one area, and, you know, failures may be a little bit harsh, but, like, he couldn't replicate the level of success he had as a basketball player um, in another sport. But he was successful enough as a basketball player to have enough, like, capital to continue to be involved with the sport in another way, and in a, in a way that, you know, offers different challenges, but, like, he still gets to be around the sport that he contributed so much to um, in a different way, you know? And, like, if I can flip that metaphor to the career of a creative, it's like, okay, I just still want to be allowed in the room in a couple of years' time, you know? Like, mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot of, again, tension around crafting a pitch, getting it heard, and then having to execute it, you know? Like, uh, uh comics will break your heart to quote the king you know um he is the realist uh, he is the yeah. truth um but that doesn't mean i don't want to try yeah yeah well, shoot man i think this was this was a this was a great hour and a half of talking i i rambled too much i apologize no you didn't no you didn't i don't do this show for people to hear me talk too often <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but you know, it's it's it, there's there's like where I'm at now. Like there's a whole new like universe of possibility and challenge that I get to kind of like come to grips with. You know, like uh, I don't know. I wrote a comic that I'm pretty proud of, and I hope we'll contributed to the mythos of a character I've always loved. I'm doing other work now where like I'm trying to put the energies that have always like motivated me as a human being into the like metaphorical form. Like it's exciting stuff, but it's also like, okay, what are you going to leave behind? Which is something I think about a lot lately. You know, maybe that's me being middle-aged or being a father now. Um, But it's like, okay, one thing that was always kind of frustrating about being a freelance journalist and critic is that, like, yeah, this shit could disappear. You know, yeah. I wrote a piece about Milestone for Time Magazine. They had a nerd culture vertical that was uh, first called Nerd World and then called Techland. And I wrote it, like, it was the, the heyday of internet, like, slideshows, right? So, uh, listicles, you know? It was like, click the next page to see the next mm-hmm. paragraph, Right. It was like a deep dive into Milestone. And it was for Time Magazine, one of their affiliated websites. You know, they're not like a small company. Uh, Julian, that shit is gone now. You know, I think you can get one page of that to load, even using the Wayback Machine. Um, wow. um, and I was really proud of that piece. And I would love to read it and, 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 and kind of assess what I, the job I did there. It doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, and a bulk of my writing has been on the internet for years now. So it's like, okay, well, who's going to remember any of this stuff? Did it mean anything to anybody? Um, um, and those are the same questions I'm grappling with now, like in my career as like a creative. It's like, okay, are you going to be able to leave something behind that meant something to somebody? Look, and that, that's not to sound like discontent. I've been lucky enough to have people um, come up to be like, hey, your work either as a critic or as a creative um, has meant stuff to me. That's a huge privilege, which I, 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 I'm deeply grateful for. But you're like, okay, 
but how long is that going to last? You know, like, is it going to be one thing? Is it going to be multiple things? Um, do I rest my laurels? Unfortunately, I'm incapable of doing that because I don't feel like I have morals to begin with from the first exactly, place. Exactly, um, yeah. But yeah, so this is like all the questions that are like keep me up at night now, and they do keep me up at night. Insomnia is a bitch. <laughs> Mine's too active, so you can't go to sleep. Listen, uh, yeah, so it is a thing, man. It's 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 you know, I'm grateful for what I've been able to do, and the people who who helped me do it. And allowed me to do it and invited me to come um, do it with them. Again, that's whether it's journalism, critique, or, or comic books or video games. Um, but, uh, you know, I can never shake the knowledge that, like, for the most part, I'm operating in spheres that were not necessarily built for people like us, um, that are not uh, heavily populated by people like us. Um, um, or me, I, I I shouldn't assume commonality between you and I. Um, no, no, I agree. Like I, yeah, there's, there's be, being in comics will sometimes put you in spaces where it's like, how like how did I get here? I haven't had the opportunity to work for the big two, but I've been I've been close enough. Right, I understand. Like I've been near the people in power, and I've seen people who start out at one thing and end up becoming huge deals on the creator side, the editorial side, the business side. I'm like, you know, I've been, I've been running around these conventions since, since 2004. So I didn't a lot has changed and a lot hasn't. Right. And, 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 you know, the question is, how do I fit in amongst all this stuff? How do I fit in? How do I make a living? Um, um, how do I put, out work that's meaningful to me and others like while navigating all that stuff um and it's a it's a fraught question you know like that that people from all backgrounds have to consider um so yeah it, it is a thing that that like it affects the work too you know um um some days you don't necessarily feel like grappling with like a problematic plot device or whatever you know um but this is the job um, and you have to engage with it to the best of your ability. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm waiting to hear, I'm waiting to hear about stuff now that I'm like, oh, okay, if this doesn't happen, uh, uh, a motherfucker is going to be depressed, <laughs> um, you know? Uh, um, and that's a level of engagement, um, that I didn't really necessarily have as a critic, you know, like, um, you know, you'd, you'd pitch a piece, you get to write it, or you want to get to write it, life would go on. Um, but it's a different emotional connection to being a creative where, you know, you can live or die by the work that does or does not get greenlit, you know? Um, and that's something that's, that's I, I, I'm figuring out how to navigate, you know? Shoot, you can live or die by, by ideas being too early yeah. or too late. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to keep on going on, but yeah, (laughs) it is, it's, it's a a different experience. Totally. Um, um, You know, the highs feel different. The, 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 the lows feel different. Um, 
and the day to day definitely hits different too. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, finding it within yourself to produce the work, uh, is one of the biggest challenges. Um, and, and if you're juggling multiple things that, that, that can be another challenge. Like, so yeah, it, it is a weird place for me to find myself in. Like part of me would love to have the kind of equilibrium and stability that I did, uh, working for, uh, a, uh, internet media company, which sounds silly to even say stability in internet media company in the same sentence, but like, yeah, I would love to have what I had, um, um, two years ago, um, as a blogger and journalist, um, nowadays, but I can't sit here and tell you that, like, I wasn't burning out, you know, um, I can't sit here and tell you that I wasn't worried about the economic viability of being a professional journalist and critic, um, in 2017, 2018, you know, I worked for a company that got rocked by lawsuits, yeah. went through bankruptcy, was acquired, was acquired again, you know, like, uh, uh, at some point you have to be like, okay, how, how much longer do I have here? So when an, a window of opportunity does present itself, like the one that did for me, it, it feels like, okay, maybe now's the time to take this risk. It's still a risk, you know? Yeah. Um, but it offers, to take. Yeah, it, it offers a kind of fulfillment that um, forces greater than myself were lessening what I felt doing the kind of work I was doing. You know, like when I put out a good piece of criticism um, that, you know, does well for the site I wrote it for, but then, you know, a billionaire decides to sue the company. Like, I can't control that. You know what no. I'm saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and, you know, the same kind of metaphor probably will definitely exist in comics and video games and stuff I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm working in now, right? But, like, Part of me definitely looks at like my time working for for Gawker Media, Gizmodo Media, and like thinks about how larger forces impacted those companies, um, and and what it did to how I was doing the work. You know, it's like okay, well, uh, 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 if I write about Miles Morales, should be the next live action Spider Man. Um, um, and a bunch of trolls come in, 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 in the comments and give me shit about it. Like, do I, be, because this is a company that doesn't pay for uh, comments moderation, like, what does this do for, for the next time I feel like I want to write something about, um, you know, something that could elicit strong reactions? Yeah. Uh, uh, whereas this kind of work is different, where it's like, okay, if I write a comic book um, that people like or don't like, um, at least I don't have that. You yeah, know? you might not even see any of the troll, the trollish right. response right. at all because it is what it is. And even when you think about the online, the online of- aspects of it, there's an entirely group of people who've read your work that never goes online to talk about anything about it. Yes. They just read yeah. the work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, you, you know, know we I only think... see them in a the show. Like, oh, I really love this and I bought this for my kids. That, yes. Like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, they don't got yeah. time for the internet. Right, exactly. Um, so it's it's a, it's a different mode for sure. But um, like I said, the, the 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 things that feel good about it are different. The things that feel problematic are different too. You mm-hmm. know, I'm just trying to roll with it and see if I actually get anywhere and can leave anything behind that 
hopefully means something to somebody. Well, I think you're on, a, you're on a good start. Appreciate it, man. You know, it's, it's, I, I you know, I'm trying to do less self-effacement, right? So I, I, all last year when I was doing a bunch of interviews and, 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 press for rise of the black panther i'd be like i'm lucky i'm lucky and my friends would be like stop saying you're lucky luck is part of it but you were ready you've been getting ready for this for 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 your entire life so stop saying you're lucky um so i try to try to at least modulate my response because it's a knee-jerk thing for me to say that i'm lucky yeah um but like yeah i'm just trying to make the most of of this moment that i have um um yeah Hmm. Well, I hope you uh, announce some new things pretty soon. Yeah, there's definitely stuff that's going to be announced, and that I that, that the other part of the being on this side of things is like you have to hold your water, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. like uh, there's definitely stuff coming out that um um I'm excited for people to learn about. Um, you know, the next thing I have out is going to be a one pager. And Marvel's Voices uh, one shot that's out I think in the middle of February. Um, super excited about that. I don't want to talk much about it because uh, yeah, I don't want to give anything away. And I'm currently you know I'm working on the uh, the New Day graphic novel based on the you know WWE Superstar Tag Team Champion. New Day, seven yeah. time World Tag Team Champions. For people who listen, I do watch wrestling every week. It is on. Well, I talk to my friend right now. Uh, <laughs> I watch all the shows and the pay-per-views yeah. and AEW. But yes, <laughs> I do plan um, to read that. that yeah, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. You know, like, not to give too much away, one of the things that's been really humbling and great, I'm working with my friend Austin Walker on this, um, who some people may know from Waypoint Radio and uh, being a, a video game critic himself, uh, that's been a ton of fun getting to work with a, a dude who I love and admire and respect. But we, when we were kind of, as we're working on this, we've been thinking about our conceptions of, of you know, of, of Xavier and Big E and Kofi as characters, like inside the fiction and outside the fiction, the mm-hmm. evolution of their of their careers. And it was incre- so we kind of outlined our story. And we're working on towards that outline. And, you know, when their podcast starts coming out, we're listening to it. I listened to it and I was like, told Austin, I was like, yo, you need to listen to it because guess what? The story, the, the beats and the archetypes and the way we perceive um, them as fictional characters is kind of what they did. And there's like a lot of eerie, coincidental similarities. Um, uh, you know, we're not trying to like, we're not trying to like transliterate, uh, uh, their meta story into the comics. It's yeah, its own yeah. that, that exists separately, but like the, the parallels were wild. It's like, oh shit, we were really, we were really on something about this. You, you saw it like how the, you saw how the kayfabe was working. Like, you yes. Can, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you can pick out what they are and you know, I took a long break from wrestling. Um, I took a break around the time Kofi really got started. So when I yeah. started hearing about like the new day and stuff, and it was wearing like you know unicorn horns, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Yo, I'm you know I'm seeing them at con- people with cons dress up. I was like, 
yo, that's wild. And I was like, yo, you mean they got a bunch of black dudes running around with like unicorn horns? Yeah. Like that is dope. That is changing some stuff. <laughs> I'm I mean, with that. Look, the, the, the way I've said it, and I tweeted about this, is like the new day of the restaurants I wish I had as a kid. You know? Yeah. Like unapologetically nerdy, not like bound to any kind of dumb stereotypes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, you know, they're just allowed to be themselves, you know? Um, um, and, you know, they had to fight for that. And the fact that they fought for that and won and then became wildly successful on the strength of, again, presenting personas that feel authentic to who they are as people. Man, I can't tell you what what I would have done if I had seen wrestlers like that back in the day, you know? Um, so this is the kind of stuff we're hoping to approach in the, in the material um, too, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. But anyway, like that, uh, all the only things I can really talk about that uh, are, are that um, the New Day graphic novel and and the Marvel Voices thing. But there's some stuff uh, coming out later this year. I guess I could talk about Corner Wolves, the podcast um, um, that I'm working on with Manvir Hire. Um, it's going to be an episodic uh, fiction podcast based on uh, a video game. Um, that Manvir is working on um, with the people at Brassline Entertainment. So that's something I've been working on. That's been announced, so I can talk about it. Um, so yeah, I'm working in a lot of different modes. It's wild. Oh, you're working in a lot of new spaces too. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah it's, I, I'm definitely growing. I'm learning a lot, um, and you know, having to challenge myself and whatnot. Um, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun. So this is definitely not not a place I thought I would have thought I'd been, you know, five years ago for sure. Yeah. New new worlds. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm gonna ask you one last question. Hit me. For the listeners, mm. how do you pronounce your last name? Because <laughs> I'm 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 called Julian Little all the time, and it's Lytle. So got it. I like people to know how to say people's name. I used to call John Byrne John Bryan when I was a kid too. Yo. Yeah, same, same. Because there was no, there's no pronunciation key in Wizard yes. or yes. No. or X Men comics, right? And I did, I made that exact same mistake, so that's why I'm laughing. But yeah, we did the same thing, me and my boys. So my last name, I say Narciss. Um, even within my own family, though, there's variation. Uh, other family members say Narcisse. Um, I, I, you know, I don't answer to either. You know, I've had some wild ones that I won't repeat because uh, I'm not trying to have that be out there like that. But like, yeah, I say Narcissus. Um, I also answer Narcissus. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on my show and doing this, having this conversation with me. Thanks for the invite, man. It was um, a lot of fun. Thank you for telling me about your new projects. And um, I guess tell people if they, if, if you want people to follow you, how can they <laughs> follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter on Evnark, E-V-N-A-R-C. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm because of the work I'm doing now is kind of like unannounced stuff and stuff that's uh, I can't talk about. I can't engage around that. But when I can talk about the stuff I'm working on, I will. Um, and you know, uh, that's that's pretty much my primary public-facing platform right now. All right. Again, thank you, and that's it. All right, man. Um, I really appreciate it. Once it's going up.